Good afternoon. My name is Ash, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, the road to the 2018 midterm elections. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thanks, and thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us. Um, it is, it is mid-July, um, and uh, I know that uh, people are, are either planning vacations, uh, on vacation, or, or, or uh, coming back, so we're grateful um, that you're with us today. My name is Blake Rutherford, and as always, I'm joined by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, uh, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Mark Howard, great to be with you guys. Happy summer. Um, well, it, uh, it 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 has been it has been uh, a busy and interesting um, summer. It has certainly been a busy and interesting week. And I want to start our discussion today about uh, the developments of the last forty eight hours um, and the relationship that any of it may have on the midterms. I mean, as we know, the Russia issue um, has not been, at least up in, up until now, um, top of voter preference. It has not been um, an issue that, that polls highly um, in terms of what voters will, will rely on when they pull the lever on election day. Um, but what happened uh, over the last 24 hours, what happened in Finland um, and in the aftermath um, has gotten uh, far more attention um, than, than any Russia issue to date. It has gotten attention um, not just in urban centers where um, where traditionally liberal voters live, but out in out in the heartland, out in in places where where Trump did well, um, the headlines were were harsh. Um, the response has been has been relatively harsh um, towards the president. Something we haven't we really haven't seen from um, from a media base that 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 is traditionally. Uh, more right of center, and so Mark, I want to—I I mean, knowing what we 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 know, uh, what do you make of of the developments in Finland, the president's attempts to clean it up, um, some stern rebukes from from some Republicans, uh, John McCain being being the first and 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 I think uh, leader of of that group, um, but. Um, what do you make of of this? What, do you think we'll see we'll see a political shift um, based on what happened? Well, I think a couple of things about that, Blake. I, I think we can't 
even begin a discussion of this without taking a step back and just beholding how absolutely extraordinary and unprecedented and in some ways bizarre the whole development was. (laughs) Even, Even for this president, this was really really something. Mark, it's it's not unprecedented. I saw this on an episode of 24. Right. (laughs) Right. It it has been written uh, in fiction before, and and we've now gone all the way through the looking glass into uh, popular culture with our president. But, But I think, Blake, that the consequences of it are uh, less likely to be electoral, less likely to be felt in the election than political, more likely to be felt in Congress and in the party. I I don't think Russia is a turnout issue. I don't think people who weren't otherwise coming out to vote are coming out even after that performance. But but I do think it is cumulative, and there is now a little more willingness on the part of certain Republicans to say that this was simply a a very bad idea. That that I don't think gets felt in uh, in November so much as it may actually have a, a little to do with the policy that the government pursues. But but I, I guess my bottom line on it is that uh, if we can see that, uh, there, who knows what's to come between now and November. So, so stay tuned on all the above. Yeah, Howard, jump jump in here. I mean, I, uh, you know, Mark says it's it's not a not a turnout issue, and 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 certainly all the data that we have to date would suggest that that's that's exactly right. Um, but it 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 is a political issue. So what are your what are your thoughts? You know, I think generally, of course, and then and then you know, what are your thoughts about the the way the Republicans responded to it? Well. <laughs> It's hard to defend the indefensible, um, but I also think people have a very short attention span, and it, it certainly weakens Trump. It, it weakens, I think, our foreign policy. But I also think, come November, come October, come September, I don't even think people are gonna. I don't think it's gonna register as a major issue in people's consciousness. So, you know, with that, with that in mind, um, you know, we've we did see we did see a pretty tough response from John McCain. We we've seen um, we've seen Republicans, even some of Trump's strongest allies, at least at least come forward with expressions of, you know, of disappointment. Um, And, you know, we've been hearing for a very long time, you know, that privately uh, members will, will express dismay at the president, but, 
doing so publicly presents a, a real political challenge, um, especially those who who are likely to face a primary challenge um, from within their own party, um, because the president's still really popular among Republicans. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, to me, it's more Blake of a leadership issue um, than it is about than it is a Russia question. I mean, Russia has nukes. Um, beyond that, they're not. Um, which obviously is enormous, and, and they're a global influencer, but their economy is relatively small. And they've obviously done some things that are um, dangerous, but I, I just I think that the the shift here is maybe for people, it's, it's the question, Trump's leadership more broadly. Yes. Like what? How? What? How can we trust him going on to the global stage and and doing anything? Because this is an instance where, you know, I don't think clearly he didn't mean to say one thing and and said another. The point is he wasn't he wasn't prepared. He was outdueled, played. He was played, and that's that's dangerous in other contexts, not just this context. Yeah, I, I think, Blake, uh, in electoral terms, uh, it, the question for November has been since, last, since two Novembers ago, since the presidential election, the question for the midterms is to what degree are people coming out to vote for or against Republicans because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not on the ballot. The election is, of course, a referendum on Donald Trump. He has made it so. And I think what happened in Helsinki, like what happened in Singapore, like what happens at the border, I think that most of what this man does motivate the Democratic base and doesn't necessarily yield a bigger Republican turnout. I think people are going to the polls to punish Republicans for Donald Trump. But the way that a number of Republicans criticized the president here and called for actual steps to be taken in the opposite direction, more sanctions or, or the like, you know, it it may insulate some Republicans in some districts from from some of that fallout, but but I know we're going to get to this. I I think there's a much more motivating yeah. event in recent weeks. This is the nature yeah. of the Trump administration. The far bigger event, as I know you are coming to, was the retirement of Justice uh, Kennedy and the nomination uh, of his replacement. And and that was eclipsed, a total eclipse of the sun for a couple of days. Nobody even remembered right. because of this this madness in Finland. It's I think it it is it, it diminishes the significance of how poorly 
he did this to talk about it as, as an electoral issue. I mean, obviously, for purposes of this podcast, we're, it's, it's entirely appropriate, but it's, this is such, a, such an epic mistake that it has implications so far beyond this November that I, I think it actually needs to be looked at in a much bigger and broader context. And, and I, it'll be, it, and I I'm sorry, go ahead. Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, that nomination, that nomination, healthcare and the economy uh, are are much more significant electoral issues for for the fall than than this fiasco. Um, Mark, let's let's pivot to to the retirement of Justice Kennedy and the. President's decision to nominate uh, Judge Judge Brett Kavanaugh. You both have you both have talked about, and we've talked about this, you know, offline certainly too. Is you know the political implications of of that nomination. Um, you know, Democrats have 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 staked out a strategy. Mark, I want to get your your thoughts about about that. Where you see this this nomination going? Um, and and then Howard, I want to talk about what you know opportunity and advantages. It certainly seems like the Kennedy retirement announcement was was well timed to get this nomination through before the election, um, but but it may not end up working working out that way. So so Mark, what what yeah. you, you know dive in here? I mean, what do you what do you make of what do you make of the timing, and then what do you make of, of kind of the Democratic positioning up to this point? Well, uh, they're one and the same in, in my view, Blake. The timing is good for Republicans, bad for Democrats. Again, there are many dimensions to this, including the man himself and his record and his qualifications to serve on, on the court. But looking at it as we are here, or as at least I am doing strictly in terms of the midterms because that that's what matters. Uh, the timing is very good for Republicans. It's very bad for Democrats. It's good for Republicans because it reminds Republicans who don't especially like this president that they got something already of constitutional significance in the appointment of Justice Gorsuch and they are now getting something else of constitutional significance from a guy they don't especially care for in in the replacement of uh, the Kennedy seat. So there is no better argument for Republicans to hang in there, hold their nose, avert their eyes, and stick with the president and the party than Supreme Court nominations. And and they got one coming up right now in advance of these midterms. For the Democrats, it is a hugely motivating factor, but but the motivation is to take back the Senate and somehow delay the nomination and somehow get back the Garland seat, and none of that is happening. The Democrats are not taking back the Senate. 
Judge Kavanaugh is getting confirmed or the next guy is getting confirmed and the Garland seat is gone for a generation. And the risk is that in those 10 red states, 10 Trump states, 10 states Trump won, incumbent Democrats are, are going to face a very bad vote. You got Joe Manchin and Joe Donnelly and Heidi Heitkamp and Claire McCaskill and John Tester and now Burt Jones in Alabama. Making them all vote against this guy before the midterms is good for Republicans, bad for Democrats. So if I were running the Democratic strategy, I would just get this over with. Just get it over with and move on. Blake, for purposes of this call, I'm going to I know you're not going to like this, but I'm going to equate you to to Mitch McConnell and suggest that we adopt a rule of uh, Senate procedure and bring it over to this call. There's no longer a filibuster for Supreme Court nominees in the Senate. There should no longer be a Mark Alderman filibuster for purposes of this call. Anytime anytime Judge Garland is on the agenda, we're, we're bringing back the filibuster. Um, I mean, it really, Look, it, you it, know, Howard. It, it really seems to me. I mean, it 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 was as it was as perfectly timed as as the Republicans could have hoped. Um, the Supreme Court and judicial nominations um, have been the priority of Mitch McConnell. They have. This has been an effort that the Republicans have been working on for decades. Um, Hillary Clinton was right. Donald Trump was at least going to get two Supreme Court appointments if he won, um, and this is his second one. Um, I mean, it just, it, it really, to me, just seems almost impossible for um, it, any of the Democrats Mark mentioned, but, but certainly uh, the ones that voted for Gorsuch now to, uh, to oppose Kavanaugh I mean, it, it, it seems like this, right. is, this is a layup for the Republicans. Well, it, from a confirmation point of view, it is a layup. He's getting confirmed. Yeah. By all accounts, I don't know him personally, but I know a lot of people who, who do know him. He lives in, in the Bethesda Chevy Chase area where I live. And um, by all accounts, from people on both sides of the aisle, he's a quality guy, um, thoughtful, uh, good temperament, and people that I talk to who are, are very left of, of center um, that know him and like him and think highly of him are feeling confident that uh, Roe v. Wade and some of the other important precedents that are out there are, aren't going anywhere. Um, uh, so, so from that point of view, from the point of view of the quality of the nominee, he's getting confirmed. And guess what? The Republicans have the majority in the United States Senate. It's a majority vote now, and that's all that matters. The question is, how does each side seek to take advantage of this in terms of of getting out the vote? It's just a massive get-out-the-vote issue for both sides. I think if you're the Republicans, you're looking to use this to, to rally the base in an environment apropos of our last conversation where there are reasons for the base to turn out just a little bit less than, than, than they have in the past. And, and for the Democrats, it's the same thing. I think there's actually an inverse relationship between confirmation and, and 
to get out the vote for both sides. It's bad for Republicans to to confirm him, I think, before the election, because um, that will um, encourage um, Democrats to come out to vote. And I think it's bad for, for Democrats the other way around. So um, it's, it's a massive get out the vote issue. And Mark, what does that mean, though? I mean, I mean, because I tend to agree with you. I mean, I I don't see, uh, I, I just don't see a path here for for the Democrats to 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 stop this this nomination um, or, or even to slow it down. It would seem to me that if there was any chance at all, and we're seeing some encouraging numbers in the in the Beto O'Rourke race in Texas. Um, Phil Bredesen still seems to be doing well in Tennessee. Um, we're, the Democrats are doing well in the Nevada race. Um, and if they were to hold um, the others, I mean, again, I'm not, we've talked about this before. It's, it's, it's a long shot for sure. But it would seem to me if there was any possibility whatsoever that the, that the Democrats might grab the Senate. Kavanaugh's getting confirmed before, before the election. I mean, no matter no matter what. I mean, it just doesn't seem to me there's a way to stop this. Um, and with that in mind, um, kind of walk me through your thinking about 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 turnout if he gets confirmed before the election. Now, again, I think that. If he gets confirmed before the election or after the election, it's a turnout issue on both sides, not because of this confirmation, but because it reminds everybody of what the stakes are in control of the Senate and two years ago, two years from now, in uh, the presidential election. So I think whether he's confirmed before or after, it's going to motivate turnout on on both sides. I just don't think there's a path for Democrats in the Senate. You mentioned a couple of races we might win, but we need a net of two seats, and that would require if we picked up two of those three you mentioned, we'd have to run the table on the others, uh, including the five or six most at risk. It's just, it's just very hard. It's very hard. Yeah. But, but I just want to pause for one moment and drop a uh, footnote uh, that when the, the history of this political era is written, the, the giant force, will no doubt be Donald Trump, although we don't know how that story ends yet. But a really close second is Mitch McConnell. Mitch, I, I, I'm going to try not to make this a filibuster, I promise. But Mitch McConnell denying Barack Obama even a hearing on the Merrick Garland nomination contributed as much as any other single act to the election of Donald Trump. It was a perfect storm. It took a lot, a lot of things to go wrong.
but putting the Supreme Court in play in that election was material to that. And he gets to do it again now with the midterms. And he is not my favorite guy. And there are a lot of things he he has done that I sure wouldn't be proud of if I if I were Mitch McConnell. But but if if they're putting any pedestals up anywhere to the Supreme Court conquest by the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell is is the architect. Of yeah, and, and I would just yeah. say I want to repeat something to piggyback on that that um, we've talked about in the past, which is who, where are the Dems? Who's the leader? What What's the alternative? There is still no compelling message. There's no clear we don't even know who the Democratic Party really is at this point. Is it this left-leaning party that votes of one of the members of, of House leadership on the Democratic side, somebody who's mentioned as the next House Speaker in, in, in Joe Crowley? Is it is it Nancy Pelosi? Um, and he was part of her leadership team. Is it Bernie Sanders? Who, who are the Democrats? Yeah. And you've got... Mitch McConnell very artfully, from this point of view, leading the Republicans, and you've got no nobody carrying the mantle on the Democratic side of the aisle, and a party that's still, in many ways, adrift. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about about you know you you teed up the Crowley race. We 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 have seen in the in the time since we were last together, um, you know, two races that. That really have dominated um, headlines. Two primary races: one on the Democratic side, one on the Republican side. And on the Democratic side, obviously, the Joe Crowley race. Um, and and Mark, I thought thought we might start and and kind of talk about um, the implications of of that on the uh, you know nationally. I mean, I worry you know that we oftentimes make way too much out of out of um, these types of these types of races, particularly if we continue, you know, to adopt the theory that you know all politics is local and 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 these races are local, and I think that's certainly the case with Crowley. But but why don't we talk about Mark the the Joe Crowley race, and then and then I'll give you a chance to to kind of respond back to what where is the Democratic Party? Because I want to throw some 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 data your way um, as we kind of finish our discussion with polling and, and money, but let's start with Crowley. What do you what do you think about all that? Well, Crowley is clearly a lesson to not just Democrats but to Republicans as well. The same thing happened to Eric Cantor in his district a number of years ago. It is a reminder that you can't be too big for your constituents and you can't move to Washington and play a national game if you want people back home to show up and and reemploy you especially when you have an opponent like Joe did it's our theme here Howard and I've said it with you Blake many times 
candidates matter. She was awesome. She was a great, great candidate. He had gotten too big for the district, and the district had changed. So you got you got to pay attention to where you come from. Is is the lesson there? I don't I don't know that it has any implications that dramatic anyway for the midterm elections because it was it's a blue seat. It's going to be a blue seat. It's not, I don't think, going to change the results in the other 434 congressional districts in which Democrats are contending. But it it could be part of a movement one way or another that Howard's talking about with the party. The party has to sort this thing out. And I think for sure, this is my, my view, uh, if the Democratic Party cannot retake control of the House of Representatives on November 6th, then what you saw happen with Joe Crowley is going to happen party-wide, and you're going to see this party take a hard left turn and reject all the establishment leadership and put itself in, I think, a very precarious place for 2020. So, I, 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 so it, it's one of it's one of the things to watch, but it's not going to change election. I, I, I disagree because again, we're looking at I mean, we're looking at Trump with a a very high disapproval rating, and I think what what got him elected in in 2016 was running against a candidate from the Democratic side of the aisle that herself had a had a terrible approval rating, disapproval rating. And what this does is it, it tells the country, we're taking out um, relatively moderate, I mean, to call Joe Crowley a moderate when he's on Nancy Pelosi's leadership team is, is a stretch, but relative to the woman that just beat him, he's a moderate. We're taking out moderate Democratic leadership and replacing them with far-left liberal type of people, and that's motivating to the Republican side of the aisle. That's not the kind of leadership they want in, in this country, and I think it's another, you know, well, taken to a macro level, it's another get-out-the-vote issue, Mark. No, no, I, I don't. I'd like to disagree with you, but I don't think I actually am. I'm saying that if we find post-November 6th that the Crowley phenomenon continues in the Democratic Party, we are going to find the Democratic Party isolating itself on the left and further motivating the Republican base to come out for Trump or whomever. Yeah. I just don't think we're there yet. I want to know what the country looks like the morning after the midterms. If we fail to take back the House, this party is going hard left and is really setting itself up for some serious trouble in 2020. If we take back the House, let's see what happens with leadership in the party and the caucus. Let's let's see what it looks like. But but it's also important what happens in the Senate, and it's not just the 
I mean, I think we all right. tend to agree that the Republicans are keeping the majority. It's hard to to map your way to to a different result. But the extent of the majority matters. And Absolutely. if you're Joe Donnelly, Heidi Heitkamp, yep. Yep. et cetera, Joe Manchin, yeah. Claire McCaskill, you're that's not your party. That's not where you want. That's not a shift that you can embrace. But I agree. <coughs> if it hurts and when you. the shift comes, I just don't think that Crowley's loss is going to move the needle at all in the Missouri Senate race it, this this time. Okay, it, it it's a sign of the times, Blake. It's yeah. it's it's yeah. a shift to it's a shift to the left, just like there's been a shift to the right. It's a sign of the times, and unfortunately, look, I mean. It keeps, yes, candidates matter, but it keeps happening. It is Eric Cantor. Eric Cantor lost to somebody who was right of Eric Cantor. Be- yeah, I mean, he ran a bad race. When you look at the... But it's, it's, look at the it's field, a shift to the extremes. Not yet. When you look at the field of candidates that are running as Democrats in the midterms, I don't think you see a shift any which way. What you see is a lot of women. That is a clear, unmistakable, I believe, very positive and very successful on Election Day trend. I think the party is more leaderless than it is heading in one direction or another. I'll I'll give you that. I just – I don't think the party has declared which way it's going. Go ahead. Well, no, no. I'm simply saying let's see who gets elected. Yeah, but on the flip side, you've got Martha Roby, who uh, who we know and and um, think you know think highly of um, Martha Roby, who has who was a a um, loud Trump critic in 2016, yeah. Republican from the Birmingham suburbs in Alabama. <laughs> she won, and and you know against a more extreme opponent. So I think it's a it's a bad sign that you've got um, a Republican winning who's been critical of Trump and a Democrat winning who took out Democratic House leadership. I wish yeah, I mean, let me, let, me dive, let me dive back in here because I, I you know, I, Mark, hang on one second, because here's a couple of things I want to, you know, I want to, I want to point out, you know, the, we we do have this issue of of Trump's job approval rating and and it's it's it is high. He's, um, I mean his disapproval rating it's it's he's underwater by ten points from and that's from Rasmussen. So um, and that's um, pre Helsinki. And that's pre Helsinki. Um, on the generic ballot, the Democrats have an eight point advantage, um, and in money. Um, the Democrats are doing very, very well. Um, just this last quarter, which which just closed, um, 56 Democrats outraised their Republican incumbent opponents. 56. Um, and you know, we we do talk about money being a being an indicator of of momentum. Um, and the Democrats are seeing financial advantages 
you know, at, at both the, the DCCC and the, and, um, the um, DSCC levels as well. So, you know, what do you – I mean, I'm not sure how many people, to be honest, outside uh, – really outside the Beltway uh, – you know, no one in, in Arkansas's second congressional district knows who Joe Crowley is. Um, and but, but the the woman who run as who who won, excuse me, um, has taken on a very a very high profile, um, and lots of national stories written about her. I I I wanted to to kind of build on as we close, um, you know this this notion both of, uh, of of you know year of year of the woman in democratic politics. I mean I think we're that's going to be a be a huge headline. The day after the election, um, assuming the Democrats take it, I also think that you know the the big issue here too is is youth, um, and you know only 21 percent of the 18 to 34 demographic showed up to vote in 2016. Um, you know that goes up 10 points. Um, and depending on where it is, assuming it's not just up ten points in San Francisco and and Brooklyn, um, but if that goes up across the country, that's a tr- significantly um, left or leaning audience. Democrats, you know, run up the score. So I think, in some ways, Howard, to your point, um, you know, the Democrats are 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 doing a lot of soul searching. We're seeing lots of people. Lots of candidates coming out and saying they're 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 not going to support Nancy Pelosi. Um, I think that that the Democrats are going to have to decide, um, you know, what what kind of party they want to be. But but again, I think there's uh, we're going to know a lot more a lot more after the election. Um, but but right now, clearly, the Republicans have. Have, have closed ranks and 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 are and are doing doing a lot to um, you know to to enact their agenda the agenda that Trump said he would enact if elected that Hillary told uh, voters would happen if if Trump won so it's it, it's all going to be pretty interesting but but I do want to close you know kind of with 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 those data points that I shared what do you what do you make of Howard what do you make of the the money advantage um, what do you make of of Kind of the Trump dynamic, um, and 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 what do you sense that that we'll kind of will we'll see from from uh, both parties as we as we kind of head into the to those dog days, those quiet days of August before we ramp back up um, after Labor Day. Yeah, I think. Look, I think Trump still will bring out the vote in the places that that. In some of the places that matter, at least on the Senate side, I think in, if you're looking at Montana or Missouri, uh, maybe not Pennsylvania, North Dakota, uh, West Virginia, he is going to be um, campaigning vigorously and forcefully, and he's going to he's going to matter. He's going to matter to both sides, but but he's he's obviously going to be a factor, and of course, you know money. Money always, money always matters. Money and messaging, and I, I, I think the, the Democrats. I've said this for a year and a half now. It's 
you can't just run against something. You have to run for something. And I've been bullish on the Democrats' prospects for, for retaking the House, but more than, more than money, they need message. They need, they need a unifying national, um, national kind of umbrella message, and they need to repeat that all day, every day, and then, and then of course, you know, get hyper-local. But they need, they need a unifying message, and they need something to do with, with their money first and foremost. Well, Mark, I don't, I don't think the unifying message is going to be stronger together, but I'll give you, I'll give you the opportunity to, to, defend, to defend that if you want to. Well, no, I thought it was, it's not a fair deal or a new deal. It was some kind of deal. We're, we're, we're offering some kind of deal, aren't we? But yeah, sure. Two things on that. I think that the need for a unifying national overarching message is much more important in a presidential election than it is in 435 congressional elections, although we need something to say. And number two, I think the message is evolving. I think by the time people are paying attention, the message will be there. You've said it yourself a couple of times, Howard. It, it is a message about health care. The, the Republicans own health care. They keep trying to take it away. And that is something that is an economic issue as well as uh, a health care issue. And I think, I think that's what we're going to hear come, come the fall. But I would just point out in, uh, in closing here, if I may, uh, Blake, that it's so hard in the summer before a midterm to look around the corner and see what the country is going to look like for 2020. In the summer of 2006, nobody thought that this skinny black guy with big ears from Chicago, who was then a state senator, was going to be the next president of the United States. And sure enough, well, the country elected Barack Hussein Obama not once but twice. And for sure, nobody thought in the summer of 2014 that Donald Trump was going to be the next president of the United States, all of which is simply to say uh, I'm not sure we have any idea. I'm not sure the next president of the United States is somebody we're even thinking of right now. It used to be a lot easier to handicap that. The last two elections have really proven true something that, that never was true but was always said. Anybody can become president in this country. Blake, can I, can I, can I just say one last thing? Yeah. Sure. I, I, think, I think this call goes in, in my win column because in a week that has featured perhaps the most epic um, debacle in the history of U.S. foreign policy. I've succeeded in making this call sitting here next to Mark about how screwed up the Democrats are. So this goes in my <laughs> win column. You're welcome to it because unlike the people who have spent their entire careers inside 
the beltway there. <laughs> what I'm interested in is who wins November 6th. These calls are are belt, called beltway briefings for a reason. Talk to me the morning hey. of November 7th. I want to schedule a call, Blake. I need to call the morning of November 7th. Oh, it, trust me, we will we we will we will be there. Well, we've uh, we've come to the end of our our time, gentlemen. I want to I want to thank thank you both as as always. We are we are back on July 24th um, with with one more call before we we do take a little a little August hiatus. Um, and I uh, I, I certainly want to thank everyone who has been listening today, I would encourage everybody to subscribe to the Beltway Briefing on iTunes or SoundCloud um, to the extent you can't always catch us live. Um, we're there, and uh, and it's pretty easy to, to access um, and listen to everything that Mark and Howard have to say. So, uh, guys, stay, stay cool until, uh, until we talk next week, and, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines.